Good morning, church. Oh, it's so sweet to, to be back together uh, with the people that you love, with, with friends and uh, loved ones. Uh, it's definitely been a strange year, but there's a sweetness to being back together, even with social distancing and mask wearing and all of that. There's a sweetness to being with the people that you care for. As someone who grew up as an only child in a divorced family, oftentimes my friends were closer to me than my own family. My friends became my family. And so to be back together with friends and family by the blood of Christ, there's a sweetness to being back together But as I was thinking about my friends who have become family, one of my my dearest friends for a long time now is uh, is a wonderful friend named Sarah McDonough, which is just fun to say, McDonough. Uh, But we've been friends since early college, uh, and we instantly bonded over a mutual love of things that weren't exactly like hip and cool at the time, but have now become mainstream. But we bonded over our love of anime and comics and sci-fi and things like that. And as I got to know her, I realized that my friend Sarah was an atheist, lesbian, vegetarian. And as a, a single lonely guy in college, that felt like three strikes right there. But the things that we bonded over, the things that we loved that united us were stronger than the differences that we had that set us apart. And when we look at the passage that we have this morning in in Philippians, that's what Paul is reminding the church, that the church is united by something greater than what drives us apart. And so before I go any further, let us turn to Philippians chapter 4 as I read God's word in Philippians 4, verses 2 through 9. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together, with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. 
We read this and we see that Paul is reminding the church in Philippi to remember the core of their faith. And that stands true for us as believers today, that brothers and sisters in Christ should place a heavier emphasis on what unites us together instead of the distinctives that drive us apart. In fact, I would argue that every believer, not just some, but every believer should display unity in Christ. That should be the common core of the Christian's identity. That in spite of differences, in spite of different backgrounds and cultures and opinions, that, as, that Christians, believers in Christ, should strive to remember what unites us all together. And this passage shows three particular ways. First, in verses 2 and 3, It should affect your arguments. The way that you display unity in Christ should affect the way that you disagree and argue with people. Secondly, in verses 4 through 7, it should affect your actions. Being united together in Christ should affect the very actions and outward way that you live your life. And lastly, in verses 8 and 9, it should affect your attitude. The unity that we have together in Christ should affect the things that you think about and focus on. Now before I go any further, let us pray uh, for this time. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your mercy and your kindness. That you are a God that continues to speak to your people today that you have not abandoned us, that you are not just a philosophy or a moral standard, but that you are the true and living God who restores broken people. Pour out your spirit in this place. For those who cannot be with us physically, God, we pray that you would pour out your spirit in each and every one of us, in all believers around the world this morning. Use this time to communicate your gospel truth, your gospel mission. Use a broken servant like myself to remind us of your mercy and your grace. And I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now for those of you that may not be familiar with the book of Ephesians, it's an emotional letter from Paul. He's writing to, to the church in Philippi, and the, the letter is full of, of joy and affection. There, there's constant reminders for the church to rejoice. In fact, the verse prior to what I just read in, in verse one, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, listen to this. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. There's a tender sweetness and affection from Paul towards the the believers in this church. But unfortunately, even among the people that you love, arguments will arise. We see that in our, our very own families and our friends. The people that we care for are often the ones that we argue with the strongest. 
But when believers display unity in Christ, it should affect the way that you argue. It should affect your arguments. Going back to to verse 2, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, we're not told what their disagreement is. We don't know what it was that they were fighting over, but whatever it was, it was apparently big enough to have reached Paul, that even though he's not physically with them, he was made aware of whatever it was that they were arguing about. But I want you to notice what he does not say in this situation. He does not say who is right, that one is right and the other must submit. He doesn't say, Euodia, just drop your your argument and you need to listen to Syntyche. Or he doesn't say, Syntyche, you're just full of yourself here, just let it go and and submit to Euodia. He doesn't take sides. He he doesn't question their faith for their disagreement. He doesn't say, you know, well, a better Christian just would get over it. He doesn't belittle them. He doesn't call them names for arguing. But instead, look at what he does say. I entreat you both to agree in the Lord. He asks his true companion, who is most likely the person delivering this letter to the church there in Philippi, help these women. Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel Remind them what unites them, what brings them together. Remind them what Christ has done. Remind them of their work together in advancing the gospel. Whatever argument has come up between you two, remember what unites you. This is a timely reminder for the church at all times, but especially today. In our current cultural climate where people all over, but especially believers, are fighting over politics and civil rights and and race relations. I've seen believers shaming one another over either wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. I'm not getting into the the politics or, or health reasons of that, but the very fact that believers are mocking and belittling one another for their their stance on an issue. We're attacking each other. I've seen and heard believers say, no real Christian would ever vote for fill in the blank, for a person or a political party. No true believer and follower of Jesus would ever vote for blank. Even outside of cultural interaction, Christians struggle to agree with one another. In the U.S. alone, there are over 200 major denominations. And when you factor in non-denominational churches and independent church fractures and things like that, that there are studies that show that there are over 33,000 denominations with distinct doctrinal stances. Churches and, and Christians fighting over particular ways to interpret Scripture or the the proper method of of baptism or the proper way to observe the Lord's Supper. 
And those outside of the church look at believers as a group that cannot agree. We're more often known for fighting against the world and fighting against one another than being known for unity and what we actually stand for. But in this very letter, a couple of chapters prior, Paul writes to the church that if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That if there is anything to be gained from Christ, if there is any encouragement, if there is any comfort of love, if there is anything to be gained at all, then bring joy by having one mind. Have one love. In Romans chapter 14, Paul writes to the church there that whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. This comes right after he's discussing with the the church uh, the, the disagreement between eating meat, uh, in particular the, the meat that has been offered to idols. Uh, there have been disagreements and arguments over who, if they can eat this meat and who can and who cannot. And, and he's saying it doesn't matter where you stand on the issue. The, the thing that matters is that we are united in Christ, that that is the core of who we are. And so that, that, should, let, that should force us to pursue peace, and mutual upbuilding. So instead of focusing on the distinctions that set you apart from other believers, Scripture reminds you to focus on what unites you together. Not where you stand on a particular issue, not an opinion you may have over a certain interpretation. But remember what brings you together in the first place. Because when you focus on the unity found in Christ, it doesn't just affect your disagreements with others, but it should also affect your actions. Picking up in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice. Do not be anxious. Pray to God. These are actions that should be definitions of the Christian life. To be recognized not by negativity, but to be recognized by joy. To not live in fear and anxiety, but to live in peace. To not live 
by yourself, to not live in in self-dependence, but to bring your requests to God through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. The Christian life is called to be distinct from the rest of the world. We are called to be set apart and different. As Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, verses 14 through 16, that as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And I want to ask for a moment, is that an accurate description of your life? Not in a, a manner to, to heap guilt on you, to, 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 to attempt to shame you for, for maybe falling short of that standard, but to invite you to take an honest assessment of your own heart. To ask yourself, is my life distinguishable from non-believers around me? When you go to work, or these days the way that you communicate through Zoom as you work, uh, back when there was still a time when kids went to school, or the way that you interact with classmates online, when you go out and go shopping, the way you portray yourself on social media, online, the way that you treat people, the way that you talk to people, the way you talk about people who aren't there. Are you known for your negativity? Are you known for your joy? Are you known as a, 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 heart, as a person with a heart of anxiety? Are you known as a person with a heart of peace and trust? Are you known as a person who depends solely on yourself? Or a person who brings your your prayer request before the Lord, what are you known for? Because when your actions are focused on Christ and what He has done, when your life is marked by joy and letting go of anxiety, when your, your life is marked by prayer, Scripture promises the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. There's a direct correlation between obedient, faithful action and the peace of God. Not that you earn it, but that when you are living faithfully, God gives you His peace, which surpasses all understanding. These actions that define, that should define the life of a Christian, directly display the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is an application of Martin Luther's theology of vocation. And for those of you that aren't familiar with it, just to boil it down in a a summary statement, it's that Christian service is not just limited to the missional work of the church, but that every form of employment is an opportunity to glorify God. There's a quote that's often attributed to Martin Luther regarding this theology, but it's that the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. That you don't have to be overtly uh, Christian 
and displaying your work. You don't have to put little crosses or the little Jesus ichthus fish on on your, your work in order for people to know that you are a believer, but that you are glorifying God when you do your work to the best of your ability. And I would argue that this isn't just limited to your career, to your employment, but to every aspect of your life. For your education, for those of you that are still in school, either uh, for young children or those in college or, or graduate school, the way you pursue your education, the way that you study and take tests and interact with teachers and classmates, that is an opportunity to bring glory to God. For your, your hobbies that you have outside of work and worship, for uh, sports or exercise or you know, playing board games with your friends, the, the hobbies that you pursue are opportunities to glorify God. Even your family itself is a vocation, that where you are in your family, God has put you there to bring glory to his name, to be the most godly husband that you can be, to be a gracious and loving wife, to be an honorable and compassionate parent, to be an obedient child. No matter where you are is an opportunity to bring glory to God. Because it's an opportunity to remember what the gospel of Jesus Christ has done for you. To share that mercy and grace and forgiveness with others. To be reminded of the unity that it should bring to those who believe. And displaying that unity in Christ doesn't just affect your arguments. It doesn't just affect your actions. But also, it should affect your attitude. The very way that you think in general. Look at where Paul keeps going in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy These are the things that you should focus your heart and your mind on. Obviously, 2020 has been a rough and chaotic and stressful year. There's been a pandemic and conspiracy theories and civil unrest, racial inequality, unemployment, protests, riots, And the one way that in all of this quarantine and and social distancing that we've been able to interact through social media, that has become a toxic environment to where it's dangerous to even sometimes tell people your fears or your struggles to share how you honestly feel. It's become a toxic and dangerous environment to the point where, and I confess that I've had to even stop and ask myself, what am I focusing on? 
Am I continuing to just share the downward spiral of negativity? Am I just sharing this post because I want to take a jab at someone who disagrees with what I, what, what I believe? Or am I sharing this because it is just and pure and true? Am, am I pursuing this? Am I sharing this in a way that is honorable? Am I pursuing excellence? One of the things that has helped me is to remember why I share the things that I share. And that takes me back to Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You. Scripture describes you as someone who was once an enemy of God. You were trapped in your sin, completely incapable of saving yourself. And yet, God sent his son into a broken, sinful creation. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, perfectly obedient and without sin. And he came and he took the penalty of your sin upon himself, was nailed to a cross, and he truly died. And three days later, he truly rose again, defeating sin and death. And this is the beauty of the gospel, that because of the blood of Christ, all people are made equal, regardless of background or gender or nationality or language. All people are made equal by the blood of Christ. Salvation is made possible to all people. And Christ brings justice to the oppressed and to the neglected. And he promises eternal restoration and glory. And there will be suffering on this world for a while. Either mild inconveniences or through literal persecution and death. But there will be suffering But there will come a day when all believers and all non-believers, all people will bow at the name of Jesus, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their skin color or their gender, regardless of who they voted for. All people will bow at the name of Christ. And those who believe and call upon Him are eternally bonded And united by his blood, by his work, and his sacrifice, and his resurrection. So I invite you today to choose how you will live. 
Will you allow disagreements and arguments to drive you apart from brothers and sisters in Christ over things that you may not agree on? Or will you find unity in the gospel of Jesus Christ and what He has done for you? Will your life be no different from the the non-believers around you, from the people who ignore the gospel? Or as a believer in Jesus Christ, will you be recognized by joy and peace and prayer? And lastly, will you focus your attention on the chaos and the negativity that seems to be so constantly surrounding you today? Or will you focus your attention on what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy? Will you live as a sinner who has been reconciled to God? Will you focus on what unites the church through the gospel of Jesus Christ? How will you choose to live? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you have taken a sinful people and you have reconciled us to yourself. And we confess that far too often we focus on the differences and the distinctions. We focus on the things that drive us apart. We confess that we have not been marked by joy, that we have not been marked by trust, that we have not come to you, that we have depended upon ourselves. We, we confess these things and we ask that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would remind us of the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the victory that he gives to his people, that we would live in, his, in hope of him, in hope of his name, and we would live in his victory, that we would live in his resurrection, and that we would remember what unites us. The glory of his name, Jesus Christ, the risen Lord and Savior. And it's in his high and holy name we pray. Amen.